Every week, we tell you a story of an Indigenous person who has been murdered or gone missing. And every single story we tell you resonates with us personally on some level, even though we didn't know the victims, or even if we aren't members of their tribe. We feel for them, we hurt for them, not only because we are humans, but because we are Indigenous women, and these crimes hit close to home for us. But today, this story is different, because I knew the victim. I worked with her, and I loved her. This is the story of Marcy Blanks. So today, since Brittany knew Marcy, she's going to mostly tell the story, but Brittany also interviewed Marcy's mama, and we're going to use some clips from that interview. But first, I just want to ask you, Brittany, so how did you know Marcy? So I worked at Lumberton Senior High School a few years ago in 2014 and 2015, and Marcy was one of the students there at the time, and so that's kind of how I met Marcy, was from my work there. Okay, um, and what grade was she in when you met her? She would have probably been in 10th or 11th grade, or maybe both at the time, just because of her age. Okay. I I think that's such a fun age, because it's like you're not a senior with senioritis who's like, you know, doesn't care about anything, so it's still like a sweet spot when students are in like 10th or 11th grade that you're working with. Yeah, that's true. So I know that Marcy was Lumbee like us, and that she was from Robertson County like us, but what was Marcy like as a person? So I also want to just mention that she's from Allenton, which is a community in Lumberton and in Robinson County where a lot of um, Native and Lumbee people do live. But Marcy was just, she was very, very pretty. Uh, That was the first thing that I noticed about her. She had beautiful, like, olive-complected skin and brown hair. And she used to come to my office and talk to me all the time. And she would tell me all about her weekend or what she did with her friends or just complain about how she didn't like school like most teenagers do. And she was a very honest and blunt person. I can still remember, you know, that very distinctly about her. And and I can just remember her so clearly even still, even though I only worked there for a year. But she's just one of the students who I remember kind of in vivid detail. And so here's a clip of Mary, um, Marcy's mom, describing Marcy. As a person, Marcy's outgoing. Yeah. She was easy to get along with. Very. She's just a good girl all the way around. She was a beautiful person. Inside and out. I mean, anybody that couldn't count her would love her. Yeah. I mean, she was outspoken. Now she she always, she always told you what she thought of and stuff like that. But yeah, she was a good person. Hey, yeah, and she defended herself. Now that's the truth too. She wasn't gonna let nobody mess her over. No, that she wouldn't do. Yeah, I just I I just always thought she had such a bright spirit, and like you said, she definitely made an impression on me. And I just re- I just can just remember seeing her in those halls. And in another part of our interview, Marcy's mama talked about how they were really, really close and how they were almost like sisters and that they um, uh, just had this very loving relationship where Marcy could kind of just tell her anything that she wanted to. But I also thought that this next clip and part of the interview was very funny. And so I just wanted to show y'all how hilarious and also sweet Marcy was. So here's the clip. She had just turned 18. She said, I'm almost grown. (laughs) She thought she was grown, didn't she? Yeah, because she told me, she said, Mama, when I turn 18, I'm going to move out. I said, okay. She said, but you got to come and pick me up every day and go get me something. I said, no, ma'am. <laughs> I said, when you move out, Mama, I don't know how to take care of you no more. She said, yes, you do. No, she didn't say that. 
Then she said, I said, baby, when you move out, that means you're on your own. She said, but you have to still always take care of me forever. I am your child. <laughs> I said, girl, you'll be grown if you move out. I guess they ain't going nowhere to you. I feel like that's the same kind of thing that I would have asked my mama to do, and she would have told me no <laughs> right away. Right. Like, girl, that is not moving out. And yeah, so for me, it's just nice to remember Marcy like that, you know, as all the things that she was. Funny, sweet, and also a little bit spoiled. And her mama even said that she was spoiled rotten, and she was. And she had a, she just had a lot of people who loved her, so. She sounds so sweet. Yeah, she was sweet. And, and I left that job at the high school in October of 2015, and I thought about Marcy a lot. I would even go to her Facebook page sometimes, like every few months, just to kind of check up on her and see if she was doing okay. And she always seemed to be doing well. But on November 16th, 2016, I remember exactly where I was when I got the text. I was in Chapel Hill in a friend's car. We were pulling up into a parking lot on Franklin Street. And the text message was from a former co-worker at the high school. And she told me that Marcy had been murdered. And Marcy was just 18 years old. Well, I can't even imagine how you felt getting a text like that. Yeah, it, it was just so bizarre and shocking to me. I, I just kind of froze and I was just in total shock. But, you know, my feelings are not even a fraction of what her family and especially her mama felt. And so before we get into what happened to Marcy, I want to play a clip for you of her mama from the morning that she was murdered. I had just left to go to work that morning. I had woke her up about, I woke her up about 3.45 because I had to be at work at 5 o'clock that morning. I woke up until I had, I had to leave. Mm-hmm. And she said, okay, mama. <clears throat> and I said, baby, get up and lock the door because my house was key in and key out because of my son. Yeah. So he left out with me every morning. And so when we left, <clears throat> time we left good, I got, time I got, I dropped him off to his workers. Time I got to work good, my brother called and told me to come back home. I said, something wrong? He said, yeah. So I thought, I never thought about it being Marcy. Wow, so her mama had only been gone for like 30 to 45 minutes when she got called back uh, to the house, right? Yes, and so once Miss Mary got to the house, this is what she says that she found out. So Marcy's been stabbed. Oh my God. I I thought just stabbed. I never known that he had stabbed her that bad until because she left, she she got out from my house and she walked to the police officer's house. Right. And she not on his door. She he, he said he heard her when she fell against his door, and he opened the door. Saw it was her, and he told her to slide over. Then she, she told me she said, "Enjoy my mama's house is on fire." And then he called the fire department. She told uh, Joy about what had happened to her and who had did it to her. And he had raped her, stabbed her eighty nine times, oh and set the house on fire. Wow. 89 times she was stabbed 89 times um i don't think i've ever heard of anyone being stabbed that many times that's really sickening and for him to not only do that but also rape her and set the house on fire like what kind of person would do something like that i would say somebody that's just purely evil but but you know her mama mentions in that clip that despite everything he did to her marcy still managed to walk from the burning house with 89 stab wounds to the neighbor's house who was a police officer and his name is joey hooks now what is extra crazy about this is that the police officer wasn't even the closest neighbor there was a house closer to her than the officer's house but marcy went to him probably assuming that he would be able to get help to her faster or that maybe he would be able to do something to save her life 
And also, Miss Mary uh, said that the police officer grew up in that neighborhood, too, and that he had watched Marcy grow up. And so seeing her like that that day obviously probably really did something to his spirit. And also, when she went to the officer's house, in addition to telling him what happened to her, she gave him a name. Marcy said that the man stabbed her, raped her, and set her house on fire with her inside in it. The man who was arrested in connection to her murder was Edward Autry Wright, a 22-year-old male who had lived in her neighborhood at one point. So what I'm assuming is that he fled. Maybe he thought she was dead or maybe she played dead, but he did try to lock her in the house. Um, Miss Mary did tell me that he tried to lock Marcy in the house. Apparently there was some kind of key where you could lock the door from the inside. And so she said that he tried to do that because the keys were missing. Uh, or maybe Marcy maybe heard him doing that. I'm not really sure how she knows that. But he did attempt to lock her in the house. But I guess once she knew that he was gone, that was when she, um, that's when she also left to go to get to the police officer's house. But Miss Mary also told me that Edward had lived there in the neighborhood for a long time and that she knew him, but that he had moved away a few years before due to an incident that happened while he was living there uh, with his family. And so here's another clip regarding that. We was raised up in my neighborhood. It was one house between me and his mother. Wow. He was raised up in our neighborhood. He used to come to my house. He was sat right at my yard and him and Marcy Smith will be. We hadn't saw him in years and years. He had been in that neighborhood and I couldn't I hadn't tell years since I had saw that boy. And also, Miss Mary talked about how tight-knit their neighborhood and community was. Marcy had lived there her whole life, and so they knew all the neighbors and were pretty close and familiar with everyone there. So I think that probably makes things even worse for her. And also we just want to highlight again the timeline of events. So here's a clip from Miss Mary about how quickly these events transpired that morning. I left the house probably about 10 to 4 by the time I got Brad in the house. And by the time I got the, got the work, they come back home, the police officer told me that there was like 426 when she come up on his door. That was less than 30 minutes after I left home. So as soon as I left home, he had to go in the on her. So it also seems like the perpetrator was watching that morning or that he maybe knew Miss Mary's schedule so he would know what time she was leaving because who would be up at 4 a.m. like that otherwise? Like, definitely not me. And also, Brittany, was there any motive for this? Like, did he steal anything or, like, have some kind of grudge against the family? No, and, and that's something that Miss Mary talked about. He took nothing from the house. She had a huge TV in the living room and all kinds of other valuables, you know, and they were all untouched and there was nothing taken from the house at all. She did say that he attempted again, you know, to lock Marcy in the burning house, but the door didn't lock. Um, but, you know, in thinking about his motive and his lack of taking any material items, Miss Mary did say this. I had a 55-inch TV in there he didn't touch. I had TVs, VCRs, and DVD players, and computers and everything. He didn't take, take nothing. Except for the meant the most to me, my young That's just so heartbreaking. Like, I don't even know what to say. Yeah, but... This is the part of the interview that hurt the most to me. So, unfortunately, Miss Mary said that Marcy died on the police officer's doorstep. She was taken to the hospital, and that was where she was reported dead. And Miss Mary obviously went to the hospital, too, to see her. And this is what she said about that. The part that really gets me is when we get to the hospital, they don't never come to get me and let me see her until after she passes. So, you didn't get to, you didn't get to see her till after? 
And it got back under the but I couldn't touch her. Oh my goodness. Because she was a crime scene. Oh my God. I couldn't even touch her because they had to ship her out and stuff to chop you. And that's your baby. I know you was wanting to touch her one more time. Yeah, because I felt like if I could touch her, just hug her, she'd wake up. Yeah. I understand but that. They wouldn't let me touch her. That's so hard. I'm so, I'm so sorry to hear that. It's okay. That's awful. <laughs> I'm sorry to cry too. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I it's just, okay. I love, okay. I loved Marcy. I, I, I love, I really loved her. As a new mother, I'm trying to imagine not being able to touch my child, and it's just unimaginable. Like the whole situation is really unimaginable, and it kind of has me angry, like more than anything. Yeah, I definitely feel the same way. And, you know, her mama will always have to live with the knowledge of what happened to Marcy. But our justice system is a slow moving thing, which I think has to make things even worse for her. So even though Marcy's murder was in November of 2016, which is more than four years ago, Edward Wright has not yet gone to trial. So here's a clip from Mary talking about that. Yeah, I keep putting it off because um, he keeps... Well, last time we had to go to court, he he wanted to fire his lawyers. He wanted to represent himself because he thought that they weren't defending him the way they should be defended. Oh my God! So he's allowed two law. He's got two lawyers because her case did go capital murder, and we are seeking a death penalty. Mm -hmm. So we went. We went court back in June. No, I forgot. October, November, about one of the months we went, and he wanted to fire his lawyers. So. Greg, Greg Bell let him fire, get rid of his lawyers. And then the same next week, we had to go back to court again. And they had, had to resign him two more lawyers. So we supposed to went to court in December. So they had to put it back off again until June. We don't go back to court until June. Every year it's been like, go June, go to December. Go June, go December. So her child even started. And they've been the 16th for four years. Wow, four years. That's so ridiculous. I also read that in addition to being charged with murder, burglary, and arson, he was charged with assaulting a police officer. So apparently while an investigator was trying to fingerprint him, Edward bit the officer. Yes, you heard that right. He bit him. But he is currently in jail without bond, and according to Miss Mary, they are due back in court in June, and they are seeking the death penalty against him. And talking with Miss Mary, she also shared with me that Marcy's funeral was held at Smyrna Baptist Church, which many of our listeners may know about, and that she got a new house after the fire, and it has three bedrooms, one for her, one for her son, and one she keeps just for Marcy. And she also told me that she goes to the graveyard every single day. She said that she can't bear to feel like she's leaving Marcy behind, so she does this to, to honor her. And she said she talks to her and tells her about her day and who she talked to and where she went. She said that even sometimes it's, it's almost like she can hear Marcy comforting her and telling her that things will be okay, you know, if she's had a really bad day. Again, wow, you know, this case is really heartbreaking. I can't believe that I'd never heard about this case before talking to you about it. And I promise you, even though I didn't live in North Carolina at the time this case happened, I talked to my mama like every single day about what's happening in Robinson County, you know who was killed, who did this, and yeah. never once have I like heard her mention it or anyone that I know mention it, which is kind of crazy to think about um, because I feel like, you know, everywhere in our county, everyone shares kind of the same stories. Yeah, that's true. 
And even when I Googled it, I only saw a couple of articles, but you would think that it would have gotten so much more attention due to just how gruesome it was because, I mean, I know that we share a lot of cases from Robinson County. I promise you it is not the crazy, like, murderville that we might make it seem like because just because we're telling so many cases from it. Like, it really is, you know, a a tight-knit place where everyone kind of knows everyone. So it really is crazy to me that it didn't receive so much more attention for the gruesomeness of it. Yeah, and that's something that I talked about um, with Miss Mary. And in several of the articles that I saw, Marcy's name is even misspelled. So it's like they couldn't even give her the dignity of spelling her first name correctly. And, you know, in thinking about Marcy's case, it makes me think about similar cases that got much more attention. For example, Chelsea, I don't know if you remember the story of Jessica Chambers, but she was a white girl in Mississippi who was set on fire in her car, but who survived long enough to tell the EMT that a man named Derek or Eric had been the one to commit the crime. And she died shortly after. And and this case received national media attention in addition to a six-part special on the Oxygen Channel. And again, you know, when I make these comparisons to cases of, of um, violence against white women, I'm not at all saying that white women do not deserve media attention, but that indigenous girls deserve media attention too. Right. And also media attention is one form of justice you can provide to the victim's family. We're showing them that we care, that we're paying attention, and that their daughters are worth writing about. And in this instance, I have to place the blame on the local news stations for not doing more to cover this issue so that state and national media would pick it up too. This case just has multiple layers of tragedy to it that keep getting worse and worse. And also, you know, just in addition to trying to find more information about the case, just because there are so few articles about it, I just quick did a quick search on Facebook for the name of the perpetrator to see what people were saying about him, you know, around the time of the murder in our community. And I saw where one family member said that he needs to be freed, talking about how he's her family, so he should be let out. And I'm just like, um, no, baby. If anyone my, right, like if any one of my family members were to do something like this, they need to be locked up. They do not need to be allowed to interact with humanity outside of the confines of a prison. And I understand that people love their family members and I definitely love mine, but you can love people and still hold them accountable. To me, that is a form of love. I read this quote in this book called Homegoing that I really loved recently. And it said something like, um, the evil in the world starts as the evil in our homes. And I believe that that is like a fundamental truth. Clearly, his family does not want to hold him accountable for what he has done to Marcy, which means that he probably got away with all kinds of little evils over time when he was a boy that made him into the kind of man that he became. And I think it's a form of the most gross negligence to believe that people shouldn't be held accountable for their actions just because they are your family members. But, you know, he is behind behind bars now and he'll stay there for the rest of his natural life, hopefully. Yeah fingers crossed yeah and when we get an update on the case we'll let you all know which will hopefully be in june of this year marcy would be 22 years old today if her life had not been taken from her if you sense violent tendencies in any of your family members please get them help like report them if they harm someone help them get counseling you might be saving many lives in the process so thank you again for listening to the red justice project